You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. I get the glorious privilege of grocery shopping through the school year, Uh, and one aisle that I always hit tends to be the cereal aisle. I I have three teenage boys, and, and they eat a lot of cereal, and so almost every week it seems like I have to go and get two or three boxes of cereal and then a couple of gallons of milk, and I'm just like, how is this possible? I don't even eat cereal. My wife only eats a little bit of cereal. But evidently, my boys not only eat it in the morning, but from time to time, if they don't like supper, they eat cereal. And then I've been finding out they've been using it as a late-night snack as well. And this got me to thinking about how many people buy cereal. And so I did a little research, and I found out there was 2.7 billion boxes of cereal sold each year. And if you ever walk down that aisle, I mean, you'll see it's just covered from from the bottom of the floor all the way to the top, and you have a wide variety of different cereals. Now, just to gross you out just a little bit with how much sugar, just to kind of pour some some water on this, uh, the cereal industry uses about 816 million pounds of sugar to produce all of this cereal. Just just kind of think about this. I mean, you're just basically eating pure sugar. You'll probably still eat it tomorrow or maybe tonight for supper, but but just kind of keep that in perspective. I I thought we'd have a little bit of fun, though, this morning. What's your favorite type of cereal? Anyone like Pops? A few of you like Pops. Apple Jacks? Anybody like Apple Jacks? Not a winner, okay. Uh, Krispies? Cocoa Krispies, a few. Frosted Flakes? Woo, got some Frosted Flake fans. What about Fruit Loops? <coughs> yes. What about Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Yeah, I know a lot of people like that. Mini Weeks, this is one of the boxes I grab on a regular basis, yeah. What about Life or Cinnamon Life? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, I grabbed that at my house. What is this, Captain Crunch? Anybody like Captain Crunch? I will tell you, back in uh, my high school days, junior high, high school days, when I ate cereal, that was, that was my go-to. Cheerios? Anybody like Cheerios? Yeah. What about Raisin Bran or Raisin Bran Crunch? Yeah. What are some others that you like? I know Lucky Charms was mentioned to me. Hey, where's my Lucky Charms? Anybody else? Peanut Cheerios? Honey Nut Cheerios, okay, yeah. Grape Nuts, yes, Grape Nuts. Yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Oatmeal. Oatmeal cereal? Anybody know what, what the number one cereal that's sold in America? Anybody know? Four hundred thirty-five point nine million. It was made from it. Boxes sold one hundred thirty-nine point one million boxes. Someone said cornflakes. 
Cheerios is the answer. Yeah. Cheerios was the answer. Now, some of you are like, I thought I'm in church, and I thought we were supposed to be studying the Bible, and, and what does cereal have to do with the Bible? And you're making me hungry. I mean, I kind of want to grab one of those boxes. Well, you are right. If you're a guest here, we have been in a series on the Bible, and, and we've been encouraging you to engage the Bible, to, to be involved with a Bible reading plan. And in week one, we encourage you to at least engage the Bible four times or more a week. If you really want to move towards spiritual maturity, that really moves the needle toward us transforming to become more like Christ. I mean, that's, that's our goal is to have a changed life like Christ. In week two, we, we talked about the Old Testament. And we talked about how often a lot of people just kind of treat the Old Testament like a phone book. And maybe it was useful at one point in time, but it's not really useful today. Let's kind of skip to it and, and get to the good part, the New Testament. And, and we talked about how the Old Testament tells us about who God is, what he's done, and what he's going to continue to do. And we also said that there's glimpses of Jesus throughout the, the Old Testament. And, and we see patterns here. And, and it adds so much to the New Testament by reading the Old Testament. And then Richard did an excellent job last week talking about the Gospels and talking about how there's this harmony, but at the same time, each one of these Gospels teaches us a little bit differently about Jesus Christ. Now, today's task for me is I'm supposed to cover all the other books of the New Testament, which I can tell you that's not going to happen. But I do want to want you to look up on screen, and you're going to kind of see the rest of the New Testament in a nutshell You'll see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll see Acts that gives us the early history of the church that also talks about Paul's missionary journeys. And then also we see the Gospel going to the Gentiles. Well, we'll see the letters by Paul there. And you'll see that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Some of these letters were to individuals and some were to churches. We'll see some general letters, and then we'll also see that last book of the Bible that a lot of people get excited about, Revelation, because there's so much language there that makes, us, makes it hard to understand. And, and people say, well, is this that talking about the past, or is that the future, or what's going on here? And, and, and lots and lots of people have written volumes and volumes, and, and they're still trying to figure out what, it, what it, all of this means. And, and I don't want to be too simplistic about it, but I'm going to anyway, is that I just know that we win, that Jesus Christ that I'm on his team, and at the end of the day, that I get to go to heaven, and I'm not going to necessarily worry about all the details, not that it's bad to study the book of Revelation, but, but I just know at the end of the day that as a believer in Christ, I don't have a lot to worry about. I don't have to worry about everything. Now, when we read through the New Testament, though, I, I found some people kind of read through it, and it's like they're shopping for cereal. Oh, man, I love that verse. That, that verse is really good. I'll highlight that one. I'll put that one on a shirt. I'll put that one on a mug. And then, um, you know, this one not so good. I, I don't like this one. I, I'll ignore that. I don't really want to pay attention to, to that verse. And, and, and so many times when we're studying Scripture, and we've been encouraging you, again, we want you to read God's Word. We want you to not only read God's Word, though, but we want you to also study God's Word, to meditate on it day and night. We want you to dig in. And, and, and what, I've, what I've found is sometimes we take verses out of context. 
We take it out of, uh, we don't really have in mind the author's original meaning. And, and so if we're not careful, this can be harmful to the universal church. It can be harmful to other people. Sometimes we kind of pick verses that we want, especially when we're trying to support a certain, a certain uh, belief that we have. And we say, hey, you know what? I think this verse, it sounds good. Let me kind of use this to support my position. I, I wanted to pick just four verses today from the New Testament that, that sometimes we might take out of context. Now, this is a famous one. Philippians 4.13. You guys say it for me. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That means I can dunk a basketball because I have read that verse. That means I can hit a home run in the game because all I got to do is quote this verse means I can bench press a bus. You know, I'm in the gym. I'm going to say Philippians 4.13. I'm going to close the business deal because I can say Philippians 4.13, right? It means that I can come up here, and even though I can't sing a lick, I'm going to come to Amanda. I'm going to say, Amanda, I think I can sing a special. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, and God's going to make it happen, right? You know, we laugh, but sometimes people do that. Sometimes people take this verse out of context. But when we look at it in context, if we see what's going on in this passage, Paul is actually writing to a young church. And, and they're going through some issues. And, and Paul's experienced some pretty tough issues in his life. He's under house arrest. He, he's faced persecution. He's went through some difficult times. And, and the thing that we need to do all the time when we're studying Scripture is don't just read one verse, but also read before and read after. And so let's do that this morning. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with lots of cereal or no cereal, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. See, Paul is actually talking about contentment. He's saying we can be content in the highs and we can be content in the lows. As Seth was talking about just some of the frustrations that we have in life, we can be content. I was looking over this verse yesterday and I got a text message from someone. And they basically were explaining that their family had been hit with several, several serious medical issues. And she was going through it. Her husband was going through it. And, man, it was just breaking my heart. And so I sent a text message back and I said, hey, I am so sorry. We're praying for you. Is there anything I can do? And she wrote back, thank you for praying. I'm just holding on to Philippians 4.13. She wasn't saying, hey, this is going to make me dunk a basketball. But she's saying, I know that God's going to give me the strength to get through my current trials and tribulations in life. See, she, she understood that this verse doesn't give us some kind of supernatural, making us superman. But this verse does help us learn to be content in our situations. Let's continue to the next verse in Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply every what? Need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And some people have taken this verse and said, you know what? God wants to make me rich. 
because, you know, my God is rich, and so he's going to make me rich, and so, you know what, I'm just going to kind of claim that, that God wants to make me rich. And they've kind of taken this verse out of context, or they have, it's not kind of. But what we see here is, again, Paul is writing to a young church, and they've been generous to him, and he's teaching them to be content, and he says, God will provide for every need, not greed. He says every need, not everything that we necessarily want, not everything that we desire, but God will provide for every one of our needs. And, and, and so many times we take this verse and we think it's all about us. But could it be that this verse isn't about us, but it's about how generous our God is? Because simply read the verse after, verse, or verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, when we read scripture, we, we want to see what's going on in the passage. Let's look at our next scripture. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. When we see other verses like this that will come up on screen, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 talks about reaping and sowing, especially with offering. Proverbs 1, 31 and uh, 22, 8, Hosea 10, 13, Job 4, 8. You might want to write those down. But in this verse, we often kind of think, you know what? When someone hurts me, what comes around, what? What comes around goes around. Well, we think, you know what? I'm a Christian, and God's going to get you. He's going to give you some kind of cause. Uh, cosmic retribution, and you deserve it, you hurt me, and God's going to go after you. But when I, when I look at this verse, and, and I look at the context here, it says, for the one who sows, and this is just following, for the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Maybe in this context, it's not about others, but it's actually Paul writing and saying, hey, we need to look at ourselves. And we need to say, am I living in the flesh? And when I do live in the flesh, I may make bad choices and there may be consequences. But when I live in Christ, there's going to be eternal reward. And now, there is this principle that, again, I mentioned earlier, if you look at those other verses, reaping and sowing. And in general, that can be true at times. But here's what we have to be careful about. We don't always get what we deserve, do we? Because Jesus Christ and God has shown us mercy and he's shown us grace. How many times have you experienced grace and mercy in your life? So many times when we look at the verse that we're discussing right here, we're so busy looking at how God may punish someone else that we forget about the big plank that's in our eye. We forget to look here and we say, hey, you know what? How am I living? And when we come humbly before God and we say, God, you know what? I've got some cleaning up to do here. I, I, I am so thankful for your grace and mercy. And, and maybe I should extend that same grace and mercy to others. Let's look at our next one. E Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. I'll be honest with you, when I read that verse, I don't really like that verse. 
I'm like, man, what's going on here? And we've seen slave owners actually take verses like this, and they actually created the, the slave Bible. I, I believe it's, if you go to D.C., I believe it's in the Museum of the Bible that they have a big exhibit there. But the slave Bible, if you don't know it, and I would encourage you to research it this week, but it actually has most of the Old Testament missing. It, it takes out the story of Exodus that would lead, they were scared that slaves might, uh, that that might lead to a revolt. And so they take that story out, but then they keep Joseph because, you know, Joseph was a slave and, and he didn't rebel. And hey, be like Joseph and God will bless you in the future, but, but you need to just kind of do what, this, what the Bible says. And they just selectively pick verses. When you look at the New Testament, they, they kept only uh, about half of the New Testament and they kept verses like this in, in Colossians. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. 1 Peter 2.18, you, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. And, and we, we read these verses and, and they make us uncomfortable. And why do you think they make us uncomfortable? Because when we think of slavery, we think about the unjust that's been done in our country. We think about how slavery was about one race, how people were treated as property with no legal rights. And when I read these verses, I, I wish Paul would, Paul and Peter both, I wish they would say, hey, slavery is wrong. But when we're reading the Bible, we have to look at the setting. We have to realize what's, what's going on. Paul wasn't writing this whole paper about, hey, about slavery, but he was writing to what was going on there in the culture at the time, and, and Peter was writing the same thing. He was saying, hey, these things are going on, and, and let me give you some words in this setting, in, in this cultural situation. Well, one of the things that we need to realize is that, that there was a lot of different forms of slavery in Paul's day. Uh, slaves were condemned uh, to the mines. Uh, sometimes uh, they had gladiators that they would watch for entertainment. Uh, some, some slaves worked on plantations, uh, although it was common uh, to use free peasants. And so there were that type of slavery, but there was also uh, lots of other types of slavery, and especially what Paul addresses here in our passage. Uh, it's a word that means slave, servant, or bondservant. And, and we'll see that that's a little bit different than what we kind of come in with our mindset. And they had legal and social status in the first century, uh, most, uh, most slaves were not slaves from birth, uh, and it wasn't based off of someone's race. Uh, most slaves weren't slaves for their whole life. Uh, in, in fact, they were able to, they made money, and they were able to purchase themselves from slavery, or they would purchase others. Well, one of the interesting things that I was reading about was that when you look at social status, you had some slaves that were serving for people of high class, and, and these slaves became high class. And, and you had especially some free women that said, you know what, if I marry this slave that's serving this high class, it actually would advance her social status. And, and so when we talk about slavery, we, we're talking about some different things in here. And so I think it's, we need to be very careful when we look at these verses. Again, we automatically kind of bring our Western mindset into things, and we think, hey, when he's talking about slavery, he's talking about exactly what the things that happened in our country, and, and, we, and we always, uh, sometimes, or sometimes we bring it in with our clouded view and our personal experience. 
But it's important when we study God's word to realize what's going on in the setting, what's going on in the culture. Uh, if you continue reading in Ephesians, and, and this is where I think some Christian landowners or slave owners probably neglected this verse as well. Ephesians 6, 9 says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. He has no favorites. See how dangerous it is just to kind of pit different little verses to try to support a position? How much harm it can cause? See, as a church, we believe that we not only need to read the Bible, but we need to study the Bible. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, very powerful verse. We, we believe that God transforms our life by reading Scripture. It says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's what we're trying to do here at Castle Hills Christian Church. We want to dig into Scripture and we want it to transform our life. And so I want to leave you with, with three questions as you're studying Scripture. First of all, what is the context of the verse? What's the context of the verse? What's the setting? What's the audience? What's going on culturally? What type of literature is it? What's the main characters? What's going on in the book? Read before and after. Uh, how does this verse fit in the context of the whole Bible? It, it's dangerous just to pull one verse out of one book and say, oh yeah, this has to be the only way, but we always need to look, take a step back and look. Second question is, what does it mean? What does it mean? What was the author's intended meaning? How would the audience have interpreted those words? I love the words of Rob Yancey. He said this, When there's a conflict between my feelings and the Bible, the what? The Bible wins. My intellectual conclusions, opinions, and human reason, the Bible what? The Bible wins. My personal experience, the Bible wins. And then lastly, we want to ask, how does it make an impact on my life? It's great to read through the Bible and have all of this knowledge, but how is God's Word changing our life? If you go to our Sunday school class at 9 o'clock, one of the questions that I always tend to ask at the end is, okay, class, this is great but what's the one thing that we can take home in our life? How can we apply this? Is there a principle? Is there something there that we can pull home and, and apply to our life? Because we don't want to just have the knowledge. I mean, we know that, that Satan knew Scripture, but it didn't change him. We can have all the information. I know a lot of smart people that know a lot about the Bible, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily believe in Jesus Christ. But as followers of Christ, we want to take the Scripture, and we want to believe.